Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. My name is Eric Seepin, and I am pastor of the Village Church in Tucson. And across from me, really across from me, um, one of the few people I'm in a closed room with yeah. <laughs> is Andy Littleton, pastor of Mission Church, also in Tucson, Arizona. Um, yep. Our homes are actually closer than our churches. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we talked about. Well, we were talking about Christians who, what do we do when we're embarrassed by other Christians, leaders, things they believe and say. We ended up really swimming in some some Christian political philosophy. Uh, We got into some of that. Yeah. uh, We got into a a little, I mean, a little in times gets peppered in toward the You threw around. Some big words, which is unusual for you, without I'm, defining them. I know, and you sort of helped, but you know, you could have you could have jumped in there more often. I yeah, guess. well, when do you, unto others as they have done unto you. We put the four categories in theology and politics, and I just let that. You just let it. Slide. People can go to Wikipedia and figure it out. Yeah, Google it. Google it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, Anyway, I enjoyed talking to you, man. It's right. it felt like a true breakfast conversation. It did. It did. So, um, sit down, grab a cup of, cup of coffee, unless it's uh, eleven at night for you, in which you should just grab some water, right. hydrate yourself before bed, and uh, <laughs> listen to us. Enjoy. And yeah, I guess uh, hopefully we'll have a whole bunch coming out here soon. So, Ooh, that's right. Yeah. Check check. Anyway, I was gonna I was gonna stop and grab like a coffee and a little sandwich. Right, but you had pancakes. But I had this pain, so then I just came straight here and I went, "Oh, I wish I had coffee." Well, so hey, we have really good coffee here, so. Well, you did good. Yeah. Well, uh, hey Eric. Hi, Andy. I'm uh, I'm coming off some blueberry pancakes, and I want to talk about blueberry the pancakes. Blueberry pancakes, and um, thanks to my buddy Nick. Thank you. And, um, I want to talk about being embarrassed of other Christians. <laughs> I feel like, so I, I just want to say, I haven't put up our last podcast. I've, I've noticed. Because I, I was concerned, just, I wanted to listen to it before okay. I put it up because when we finished, I was just super anxious about Oh really? the, what we might've said. So I wanted to oh. just listen through it okay. again before. Well, that's good. Uh, but I haven't had a chance to fully listen through. I, I listened a little this morning. You know I'm pro that. I've done that yeah. before. Well, yeah. So that yeah. what makes me chuckle when you said this is I think we did a podcast similar. We pulled one. That we yeah. didn't post. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> and we both agreed. Yes. It wasn't, wasn't good. Now, yeah, I I feel differently okay. than I felt that day. You were which you were not a me, very happy camper on that. Uh, I got a little salty. <laughs> you did get a little salty. No, I I actually really want to process this through because I think that this is something that I'm dealing with. I think a lot of people are dealing with. I think I have an embarrassment about other Christians. I think other Christians probably are embarrassed by me. Mm. I think that. I, I'm I'm saying I don't feel like this is a one way issue. I think so. You it's think a, they're embarrassed, but you're not. My, I mean, you are a public figure, but you're not that. No. So there's not a lot of us on the. Oh my gosh, there's Andy again on on the news. Sure. 
representing right. us, but right. yes, but people might be embarrassed of something you said or, or that or that I don't say or that you don't say or there I think there are so many so many things, and so I just wanted to process that through. What do we do with the Christians who we would say honestly are we would call them brothers and sisters in mm-hmm. Christ? Actually, I think that term is really helpful because you can disagree with your brother or sister but have this unity with them, right? Theoretically. Theoretically. <laughs> I'm talking about like in families. In families, theoretically, yes. But yeah. um, but just how to navigate it, how to deal with – I mean, because I find myself wanting to apologize to people I know outside of the church for okay. other Christians. Okay, so it's the message that's – kind of representative of a Christian to people that you know or care about or are close to who don't follow Jesus. That's especially where it comes up. Right. I, I think I'm less embarrassed, say, with you, like if I'm just talking to you right. as I am now having yes. coffee. I, I'm less embarrassed to say, oh, so-and-so is a Christian with a very – a view I really don't agree with or right. – with a attitude that is just frustrating for me. Right. I'm not, there's not embarrassment. I feel like you and I, we get the family dynamics. So you're thinking more and well, it's just like, if I'm not someone's following Jesus and I'm like, what the heck is up with Franklin Graham? Sure. I'll, I'll just, just I, like, cause I mean, there's somebody that a lot, I hear a lot of feedback from people both inside and outside of church that they don't understand some of his behavior and his association with right uh, well an easy low-hanging fruit of yes. this and there are so many things would be the you know how you feel about christians supporting or not supporting donald trump on right. either side of that low, i think there's low-hanging fruit i have been recently and this is new for me i uh, got a very direct criticism for not supporting donald trump and so that that's new. That's a new one for me. And you know me well enough to know I'm not. Well, I thought like, you did. Sorry. I'm not <laughs> hitting the streets on this right, issue. Right, right, right. No. But, but yeah, I did. And so I thought about that. Somebody's like, you're not representing what we think a Christian should do. And that was how they felt. It was as a pastor, as a Christian, I should. And then I have felt similarly, you know, the reverse. Uh, another one I can remember, this was uh, another low-hanging fruit, was I saw a Kenneth Copeland clip of him rebuking coronavirus into mm. the TV, right? Right. And a friend of a friend posted it on social media and was like, what the heck was that, right? Right. And I actually typed in there. I said, I'm so sorry. I just was like, I'm sorry. This I, right. I don't know. You know, as a as a fellow Christian, I am weirded out by this as well. So I I feel that though more and on a whole host of issues, and I'm wanting to think through how to deal with it. How do you do you deal with this? Is this just me? Yeah. It's just you. You're the only, uh, you're the only one, Andy. Oh it. well, shoot. We'll throw this. <laughs> there you go. Throw this in the trash. Nobody's and, gonna relate. Yeah. So, uh, kind of reminds me of Mark's sermon. He spoke on Ecclesiastes, and halfway through, he's like, 
Well, that's done. Thank you very much. Everything's <laughs> meaningless. <laughs> so, go home. Go home. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think... So, I've gone up and down on all of these things because what I have learned is that humans are crazy. Isn't there a country song about that? Yeah. So, so people are crazy. You know, we only have, if we just want to think about groups and want to group people, so that's what we're doing Christians, and then we could group atheists and agnostics. Sure. Well, you're going to find some right in the popular atheist yeah. world. They're insane people that if I were an atheist, yeah. I would be embarrassed to be associated with. I right. Yeah. This and, is probably all over the map. Yeah. So there's this association thing. So people are like, well, Christians this, I think what's hard for me is that this embarrassment has become part of, it's part of a news cycle. So Kenneth mm. Copeland is manipulating the news with something that's actually a, I would do as a Christian, but not on a public sphere. I, I, there are evil powers behind COVID-19, and in my prayer life, I will pray against those powers. That may be confusing to someone who doesn't understand the spiritual world, but I'm not going to use it as a sensational thing in front of everybody on a TV screen. And probably the most embarrassing thing for me was the way in which he did it and the facial expressions. It was... right. It, to me, was just a very foreign way of behaving. And I think that if he'd, in a very different way, essentially prayed against darkness, brokenness, sin, right. I would it wouldn't have struck me at all. Right. And, and it wouldn't have gotten on the news either, right? Because right. part of it was how intense it was. And that's, I think, part of... I. I so can I uh, can I throw something out yeah. here? I was going to say it's, it's branding. It's weird. It's yeah, like it is very his branding. brand. He has to do that. Go ahead. Do you? Are you embarrassed because you feel this is hindering the gospel, or are you embarrassed because it just reflects poorly on you, or associates yeah. you with people who are a little weird or crazy, or seem to be more manipulative than genuine right. and authentic? Good question. I am sure it's both, but I think at, I think that it's the hindering of the gospel at a higher percentage. Okay. Yeah, honestly. Because I think I, I do care about the folks I'm talking about. I wish that they could see Jesus right. for who I see Jesus to be and in the richness of, of what Scripture portrays. And I think these things just seem to me like major roadblocks or it it feels like disruptions to that being possible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the next obvious question was like, do you believe that the spirit of God overcomes these things? No. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the issue that well, embarrassment. Right. I mean, I get it. Like I, I think I, my wouldn't my struggle would be with Copeland because I'd be like, whatever. But mine is more like with big the way that religion or Christianity has married itself with politics, mm. and then the uh, what do you call it? Sort of the partisanship of Christianity. Sure. Then when that gets exposed, that's embarrassing to me. That's like really frustrating and. Like I, I can't. So when people point that out, I 
get more embarrassed. I used to get embarrassed by the Copelands of the world, and I'm just like, okay. He, <laughs> you know, I just, he can feel so extreme. I, you know, it, and it's always wrapped up in your story, though, because my parents would get duped into right. the most sensational versions of faith. They would kind of drift that way. I right. think somehow those kind of leaders, the more out there they were, got their attention, mm. and I always wished that wasn't the case. And they weaseled people out of money yes they weasel people out of money which happened my my family when we were in our worst times it was giving money would give money mm. hoping that maybe god would maybe that what they were saying about god blessing you might be true i mean right. i it wouldn't shock me one bit if copeland came around in that same talk and encouraged giving money to push back the coronavirus right i don't know but right just, it just wouldn't surprise so me. what do you think it is about people like him that there is a, a subset of people who really there it touches some longing in their heart, right? That we actually yeah. have a little contempt for. Yeah, we do. Um, I yeah, okay. I kind of wanted to go back to something. Oh, go you, go back to that. No, you're on a good train. Let's we'll see if I think of it again. But. Um, I think that I think that there's a real draw to people like him because they are very sure and authoritative and seem to know exactly what to do and how to do it and they don't mince words there's no nuance it's you do this and this will happen and you give and you'll get and you'll everything's and even if somebody isn't I would say my parents weren't convinced that that was true, but those type of leaders were so sure that they went, well, let's try it. Whereas other leaders who were saying more nuanced, probably helpful things that could have helped them with their financial troubles aren't as in your face and sure, and they don't grab their attention. So I think that's part of it. Um, so charisma, charisma, charismata, the, it, oh, does that mean you're filled with the spirit? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a huge piece of the draw. Yeah. And it's hard because as you and I both know, if you don't have any of that, people just don't listen to you. Yeah. So I'm sure we have our own charisma charisma yeah and then what do you do with it and why yeah what, what would you say what is it about them well there's just i think when i listen to people like him and others who are maybe a little bit more down to earth but still have that sort of copeland pentecostal charisma i have this longing for the power that they're talking about to be manifest sure. in my life who wouldn't who wouldn't want all kinds of power and it bypasses well i think it's just because you feel powerless mm -hmm. you want to and if you're a follower of jesus you want to taste the spirit right. that way um i or experience the spirit that way i won't use a very christian word taste the spirit uh <laughs> just experience something mystical and powerful that right. you're part of and connected to i think they elicit that 
and um, and they elicit they touch on your loneliness and your feeling of isolation. Mm. Isolation. So yeah, I mean, I I feel drawn by that. I think good leaders tap into that at any level, like of course, because that's what your gift is. Is to you know, I <laughs> saw this interview with this actor. I don't. It was uh, a military movie. It starts with an S. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The, the interviewer is asking him, he plays the person in charge, and he's asking him, oh, you were so, like, this guy sort of got all this bravado, and he's funny, and, and he's engaging, and, like, how did you create a backstory for this guy? And he's like, oh, he's in charge. He has to manipulate people in order to get them to do what he wants to do, them to do. Like, and right. so he has to have this engaging kind of thing. And I think that's a, that's the dangerous thing that you experience but then the world says well look this is what the christians are you know right which is fr- which is frustrating so you were saying that you it's more the partisanship that gets to you yes and does that have i mean where are the roots of that when did that start to bug you uh well i think for me it was a long journey out of it myself because mm-hmm. i grew up believing that so the in general there are two streams there's corporate morality and there's individual morality when i mean corporate i don't mean business i mean the the liberal world sure. believes in this overarching morality like we're we're looking for a, an umbrella morality where where the conservatives are saying it's your individual responsibility morality that we're going to kind of legislate except that doesn't always because then the conservatives, when they talk about an issue like abortion, want it to be corporate. And, yeah. and when it comes to sure. sexuality, the liberals want it to be individual. So right. it's, it's, it's back and forth yeah. that way. But in general, where, when I was in, you know younger, this is the, the mode. And so, like, believing that you need to legislate morality on the individual level, though, is still, like, this is your sexuality. We're going we're gonna to legislate that a certain way. We're going to legislate... You know, um, how you are working, you know, all these things. We're going to legislate them as an individual choice. So you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Anyway, all that, like being connected to that as a Christian, like these Christian values line up with conservative values. Therefore, Christians and conservatives are married together. But then we have people. And it seems so. I, so the journey out of it for me is just that, oh, well, I, I'm like, I don't think the gospel lines up with all these things that we're saying mm-hmm. in either party. And I don't know what to do with that. And I also see that stories of people matter more than yeah. even corporate, even systems. They matter more than the system that you have in place, you know, because how, you know, how the gospel manifests in Norway is different right. in a political thing than how it manifests in the U S and in the U S we're very partisan and the religious community is mostly on the right, the, the Christian community, um, though that is changing. I was going to say, especially in certain areas. Certain areas, yeah. but the voting block still is pretty powerful. Sure. And so like, so then all you have individuals who then attach themselves to people who are corrupt, mm-hmm. and they bless them, and they say yeah. that they're God's person, and then they begin – because they forward agendas, right? Yeah. I think that was the problem with me, and it's more embarrassing, is that we're willing to sacrifice what is good and right in order for our agenda. So we begin to, to weigh things. Yeah. What we're saying, oh, well, abortion is the highest moral thing, like to not 
have a country that aborts its baby. So this, everything else falls under that. So we've created moral right. scales. And I just am like, but, but now we're attaching ourselves. And I don't want to say our president is a despot, but we're, pre- we're attaching ourselves to people who are morally corrupt. I think the embarrassing thing for me is how, in this regard, is how pragmatic we, we've proved to be. It's a good word. I should use that one. Um, because in the past, I mean, you know, we're the of the age that we were very aware of the Clinton scandal mm-hmm. or whatever, and we heard all of our, you know, our parents and everybody sure. just say, unfit for the, you know, for office. And then we are watching this and going, hey, all the same people are saying it doesn't matter now. And it can all just be forgiven and swept under the rug and, you know, no problem. And that's inconsistent. And we're seeing it and we're embarrassed by it. Right. I, I am. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think that's I think that's the big part is what we appeared to be through the 70s and 80s and uh-huh. parts of the 90s was consistent. We're consistent in the way we as uh, and when I say we, the conservative community moral was moral majority, the moral majority. And then all of a sudden now we're willing to sacrifice that. Uh-huh. And what I hear in talking to people who were who are older now, who were younger in those days, is that it's there is a deep concern for how the military is handled then how the moral life of the community is handled and then how they're taxed. Uh-huh. And these things, they've become religious items. And that's what's embarrassing to me, mm-hmm. is military force has become a religious item. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> my taxes are a religious item. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are not religious. Now, does your faith inform how you might think about such things? I'd say yes. I think your faith informs how you think about everything. Yes. But, but to hold them almost as doctrinal, right, is... Is that how you would say it, or yeah, uh, I think that's exactly. But I actually, and I didn't mean to get off on this political thing because I wanted to address the embarrassing thing because I would say my embarrassment has become more nuanced, and that I am struggling more now with just the simple body of Christ and how it operates. Mm-hmm. So how it handles things racially, how it handles things with women, how it handles its understanding right. of you know theology like i think theology has become a dangerous place i mean it always has been but it now is where we've become more tribal internally in the way that we operate yeah and and i and honestly like just even in our email list like that we're on and i i can see the underpinnings of Uh the different tribes that are together and it reminds me a lot of like oh we're a bunch of irish (laughs) You know, tribal chieftains who get together sometimes for our mutual benefit, but mostly it's our tribe back there that we're, you know. Well, and there's something, there's a reason for some of that. Um, part of part of why it's helpful to get together with pastors that are closer aligned is because you can have free conversation. I mean, I think this is the same reason in any in any space in society. Sometimes you'd like to gather with the more like-minded people because you can have a free, open conversation about how you think and you don't have to work everything out and everything doesn't have to be, you know, an argument. So I think there's room for spaces like that and they're needed, but the there's also a need to be out of spaces like that. And probably sure. what worries me is if some of our folks aren't 
Right. And they're only in the spaces where everybody agrees. Well, I, I think it's just interesting that even in those nuance in that group where we're all similarly sure. minded, it's very tribal. There's right. There's groups within the group. And of course, which is, and they all have their own language. I think yeah. that's what I'm saying is the harder part for me is we are, we are a community that struggles to hold anything. And I'm not saying that open handed, like we, I'm not saying just that passage group as followers of Jesus, right. it's getting harder and harder for us to hold things open handedly. Yeah. Well, and probably, so when we talk about our embarrassment, yeah, you know, that's probably evidence of why it's so hard um, to be united to people who don't have the same concerns. Because, for instance, right. you know, how we talk about race, um, you know, I've definitely felt, and this, some of this comes from my experience, that the church needs to take a much stronger stand with black lives at this time and, and other groups of people who have been pushed down. Um, there are definitely people who disagree wholeheartedly with that, who are my friends, right? Mm -hmm. And think that is problematic, even that that begins to diminish the gospel. Um, and so that there is mutual embarrassment going back and forth. You know, I'm embarrassed that there's not nothing's being said over there or that what's being said comes across as just obligatory, a quick post. Um, they could potentially be embarrassed at the level of conversation that I want to have. Right. And, and so then you're talking about holding things open handedly. Well, you know, what is that? Does that just create a bunch of moderates? And, and then, but if we don't, if we're not just open-handed, like wishy-washy style, how can we still be convinced of things and not embarrassed at each other or divisive? Wow. I mean, I think that in, in itself is the problem that we have to start working out together is right. that I don't think there is a very good political theology. Uh -huh. There are these streams like so we have liberation theology sure and when you have liberation theology and I'll, I'll just lay out how it works yeah. so that creates a problem for people is that if i'm an oppressed group i i find myself as the israelites you you put yourself at the center of the biblical right narrative. so i'm yeah. i'm the israelites and trump is pharaoh and we have to speak truth to power so that and i know I'm, and, and the reason you do that is because the the oppressor has put themselves at that place in the narrative, yes. like a manifest destiny type of theology, yes. which is very core to white evangelicalism in America. That, Because they have done that, the only way you're going to even the scales is to do the opposite of yes. it. Which it. And I don't disagree to the expediency or the effectiveness of that per se. Right. Yeah. So, so there, there's, you know, and that's, that's a simplification of, of, of course, in theology, but just to understand how you how people begin yeah. to narrate, it also plays itself into an identity politic, which be makes you mm -hmm. cohesive with your group and doesn't allow you to integrate as a gospel person into a, a whole different, mm -hmm. all the different groups and allow your, mm -hmm. your racial identity to be secondary. But then on the other hand, you end up with people who are saying, oh no, like, Scripture is they they take a more um, 
how how am I like well, it's not even manifest destiny, but it, it is what I would call kind of just a, a bland Baptist theology in the sense of I want to stay quiet. I'm just I'm going to be committed to the gospel. Yes. And this is how it tends to come across. I'm going to be so committed to the gospel that I don't talk about anything but the gospel, except when it comes to abortion right, or something of that nature, at which time it's just such a moral morally obvious sin that right. I will speak. Right. But outside of that, I'm going to stay very focused right, because, on the gospel. Because right. the changing of hearts. Yes. That's the ticket. Is what changes society. So you have that. Right. So it's an individual transformation if, process. If people, if this person, this was an evil person, if they, if they knew Jesus, they wouldn't have done that. Right. Yeah. So these are, and that's what we're talking about. Like when it happens to the, the, the racial issues within our culture, which are kind of raised up right now. But the question of just being political, like what does it look like for the church or the community of God to be in a political sphere? Again, so can I just say the inconsistency I see in that, that like that nobody would say that about, well, we don't need to fight abortion on a corporate level because it's just, if, if individual abortion doctors came to Christ, then they wouldn't do what they do. And that's really the problem. Like we would say, no, there's laws, there's, so, right. Anyway, so I see an inconsistency between. Anyway, yeah, no, ahead. I know. I agree with you. I got. But so my thing is like we don't have a unifying way of understanding ourselves, um, and I think it comes down to first we don't understand our identity. Mm-hmm. I think that I agree with you. I yeah. think we see ourselves as Americans first, first, and then mm-hmm. atheists. We see ourselves as Americans, and then. Yep. Christians, Americans, and then cooks. Yeah. We like we we have this. Uh, even like I was listening to a commentator says we don't ca- call ourselves uh, you know Canadian Africans or African Canadians. Right. We never even would ever use that word. But America is such a strong word and a strong oh, culture. Yeah. Like we attach our, we're Americans, and I think as Christians, there is our first failure in the gospel is that the gospel is very clear on our identity. It does not You're wipe right. our secondary identity away, but our primary identity is in Christ, and we have to operate from that space politically. And it, yes, I, I agree with you. I, uh, to phrase it a different way, and tell me if you agree with this, we tend to think of ourselves um, as Americans politically, Christians in, from as is our religion. Mm-hmm. And then you could go down the line of, sure, you know, and then I've got. And um, then I'm a pastor or then I'm and then a I've doctor. X, X, Y, and Z. Sure. Whereas what the scriptures speak of is that you're part of a new people. And so that would mean that politically, and this now, this could get taken the wrong way. But what I mean is politically, I am a Christian, meaning that my, where I work out, the way that I treat other people and the way that I do X, Y, and Z works out primarily in the church. Yes. Yeah. So I, and the church does not operate like that here. No, much. I see two ways. I see two things in scripture that I think would be helpful for the church to take a deep breath, figure out how to operate in and move forward. And one is the sermon on the Mount that Jesus people operate in an individual manner looking after individuals um, for justice mm-hmm. and for um, taking care of the poor and the orphan and being with those who are in distress. There's an individual journey that happens in a corporate sense, but it's not a political thing. We are not looking for the government 
to do these things. We are looking, this is our actual calling. In fact, historically, from the very beginning, taking care of the poor and the orphan and educating people has been the church. Sure. We have advocated all that. But as individuals, going into a space, seeing a need, helping create space for the kingdom. Now, what would you say is the corporate role of the church in the broader society? You know, my old church, you probably have seen this, had a, you know, something called the salt and light, which was a, a little, they still uh, have it. They did. Uh, I, mm, not, it, it isn't distributed at the church. It's not handed out to everybody no. like it used to be, but they still have it. You're yeah. right. Um, it's in the back. Yeah. It's in the back. But um, the idea of, of salt and light, the effect that the church has. Now, I think that one view on that is that you, to be salt and light is to gain a presence and power within the political system and influence it. That's one view. Mm -hmm. I think what you're saying, and I think what I would say, is that the salt and light is that the church community governs itself in such a way that it critiques the outside world and that people look at it and say, why are they doing what we ought to do, right? And like the effect, it's, well, in the same line of thought, Jesus called it a city on a hill, yep. that, that, and a city that produces light is attractional. People want to go toward light. So it attracts people toward it um, so, versus- So here's, here's a beautiful example of how the church does this. Yeah. And by a non-Christian. Mm. So we have a number of people in our church going through the social work program at ASU. Yeah. One of those women was in one of the classes and she relayed this to me of what the professor said. Professor, and she said, from the beginning to the end, they hate Christians at the ASU social work. They're very clear about that. Right. But this is what one of the social work teachers said. If (laughs) there's a disaster... She, they well. The first thing they said was when the when we had an influx of refugees, Tucson and Texas and cities in Texas who were taking many of them in would not have been able to handle it at all right. without the churches because the nonprofit organizations are not equipped, don't have the money, and don't have the willingness really to do what they say. So you get on the phone as a social worker and you call the churches when there is a disaster. They, she said, well, you get on the phone and you call the churches because the churches are willing to step forward and give up their their things to help. Um, well, the, and the motivation that a, a church or you know, people of God should have should be absolutely stronger and more um, effective because otherwise it's be a good person. Yes. Do good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so there's that. So that's one. So, but I do think a, to answer your question, there's a second stream, and that's with Jesus. Jesus confronts Pilate. Mm-hmm. Jesus confronts power. Now, Jesus is doing what he's doing in his life, and he has his own right. mission. But that mission intersects with power. So does Paul's. So does Paul's. Yeah. But their goal is not to gain power. Right. They're not trying to get into the position of the one they're confronting. They are confronting power. Right. And that has to, we have to sit down, because I think what happens is if you come from a more liberation section or you come from a more, let's just call it conservative theology, we can list a lot of different ones. 
a more individual gospel oriented one, we have to come together and have a discussion about what it looks like to confront power in a biblical way. And what does that mean mm-hmm. for us individually and corporately as a community? Because sometimes I think that means walking alongside people who are, um, you know, being oppressed and speaking out. Sure. Sometimes that's going and using our whatever power we have wherever we are to speak for people. Sometimes it just means that we quiet, but sometimes it means we don't say anything because it's time to be silent. You know, like the, sure. Uh, so I think we have to discuss that and be okay. have an underlying thing. Yes, our role is to speak to power about who. But it's not about, I think here's the thing. Jesus did not say, look, like you're oppressing the Jews. Like it's your problem. Like you, you have, you need to clean this up and treat the Jews properly. No, he was like, you're not God. Right. You don't, you don't get to decide who God is and what God's going to do. And I think that's the message to Congress. That's the message to Donald Trump. Right. Is you're not God and you don't get to decide. You don't get to say anything about this. And you don't, you're not the ultimate authority in it when it comes to saying who is, what God is like and who he is. Sure. Sure. And I, so I think that in itself, you know, that looks sometimes, I mean, what that looks like right. is not clarified for us in no. a first century context in the, in the Bible. And it doesn't really help you decide how to, what exactly to say on social media or whatever. But I mean, it should, well, it does. It, I think I, I'm, what I'm saying is not exactly it. I think it should shape it. Um, well, I think it should humble me because it yeah. also means I'm not God. Yeah, of course. I don't course. get to or say, this is the way it is. Right. Like that you, you are saying we should make a statement and I don't get to say, well, that's not what God would want you to do. Right. I don't get to say that. Yeah. I think. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to circle this back looking okay, at the sorry. time to the idea of so we're saying all these things, but the truth is this still lies behind our embarrassment at sure. those who see it different. Those who we know and love who are like we need to take America back and nobody can take away our rights and like nobody can tell us you know there there're a whole number of you know, you could see it when it comes to the election. You can see it when it comes to the pandemic. You can see it when it comes to um, a whole host of things. Um, and we're barely scraping the surface of articulating some different thoughts on how that could work out, um, how you could view yourself as a a political, you know, person and so on. But But what we're dealing with is that a large swath of our brothers and sisters don't see it that way and are speaking the opposite. What do we do? What do we do? Well, I, I think part of it is believing that the Holy Spirit is powerful and at work. Mm-hmm. And that we don't, like, I think sometimes we think we have to fix everything. Right. And, that, and I think for me, I, I'm like, well... I think it's harder now just to disagree to like to be in conversations where people are like they they can't see your perspective mm-hmm. and you're really trying hard to see theirs. Yep. You know, if, and whatever that perspective is. Like I'll be honest, as somebody who loves and cares about a bunch of people who are who say I am against abortion, but I don't believe that we should be moving towards trying to 
to make it illegal or, you know, and they have a whole bunch of reasons for that. I, I have, I, I understand and I try to listen very carefully and I want to be with them in that, but I have a really hard time. Sure. With it. Sure. And if it does it border on embarrassment, no, it borders on frustration because I, <laughs> I'm struggling to understand and right. I want to, but that is the space that I, I think we have to be in is like, well, the spirit of God is at work in them and in me. Well, and there's something to being willing to keep engaging with those folks. I think of, uh, I know theology isn't the realm that you were, uh, you're, you're nervous about it, but some of my theological convictions came from being in community for a long time with people who I didn't agree with. Yes. And through that time in community with them, I came to see where they were coming from and it shaped me. Yes. And I assume that's happening now and will happen again. Right. And so if you just block everybody out who views, so if, if somebody acknowledges that they have a different view on the legality of abortion than you and you quit talking to them as many people have said is happening over you know people who are getting disinvited over because of their views right um that that's not that's not helping right um, so, so can we can we just like i know this is on embarrassment but i when i listen to this what i have seen in our leaders people that you and i admire from tim keller to piper there is a reactionaryism that that i See, and it's not just them, but in Christian mm-hmm. leaders, where where there isn't a can I sit and listen to you, and not say that your belief system, though it is only one step right or one step left of mine, very small steps in, in orthodoxy is not dangerous. Like there's this inclination to say your view is dangerous, and I need to fight it and and get you back in line. And I think, I think, I mean, you've named Keller and Piper who probably approach those things very, very differently. differently. Um, but, um, but it is the thrust. Sure. You know, but do, don't you and I have our things that we think are so important? I mean, I, it's hard. It's hard. Cause I, I get, and I think it depends on if, if you're, say you're a Christian academic and I mean, I was just reading, I was just reading a book on, and basically it was suggesting that uh, Reinhold Niebuhr at Union Seminary did not, it was a critique that he didn't, that his view caused him not to stand for uh, African-American people really, but to just promote a very slow, methodical change and turn, and he could have done more about it. Right. Um, but it was by uh, another christian academic i think there are certain circles where it's appropriate to you know you can critique one christian academic can critique another christian academic one sociologist can say i don't you know there's and it you know i don't know i'm not i'm not like utterly opposed to academics or even you know pastors saying "Mm." i you know i i've i have some real misgivings about the prosperity gospel um, I don't know that like not saying that is a, is the best move. Right. Right. So I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm torn. Well, right. But see what I, I just feel like you end up down a deep hole because I could, I mean, personally, and, and if I were just to be unfettered, 
I would sure. lump, and you're going to maybe be surprised or upset at me, but I would lump John Piper in with the prosperity gospel in danger. Okay, sure. Right? I, I mean, I believe you would do that, yeah. Be, and and I have a lot of reasons right. for it. Um, but I won't do that. Right. And, I, and, I, and honestly, with the prosperity gospel, I won't do that with them either. I think culturally, like if I think in big picture, there are some things that concerns me about people, sort of the culture that each of those groups shape and create around them. But as people, I think some of their theological ideas and the things they offer are really good and well, can be learned from. Sure. And so that's, I guess, the then what you're, what you're getting at and what I would also probably be able to say is what I don't like is when it's because of somebody's view, they're 100% disregarded. They're not listened to anymore because of X, Y, or Z thing they stand for. And that's definitely that's definitely not a good move. And that definitely just, it, it makes them, you can't hear from them at all. Right. You can't. So I don't think we should be saying, so when I talk about how I feel about prosperity preachers, um, I don't want to say, oh, that's every single thing about what they believe, or, or is this person an unredeemable person? Or do I even want to say they're not, they're not with me. I'm not a Christian like them. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm, that's where I'm, what I'm getting at it, like working that through, right. being able to say, we, we walk with the same savior, which is hard to say, honestly, it is. Mm. And probably I assume for you and so there, we have our categories of where it's hardest to say, we walk with the same savior. Um, I don't see it the way they see it here. Right. And you I know. think, I think that's a, a good thing. One of the things I practice is if somebody like just from a, if somebody is attacking Donald Trump, right? I defend Donald Trump. Hmm. Yeah. And when somebody is really like loving everything sure. Donald Trump is doing, he's the answer to everything. Right. I point out how Donald Trump right. may not be that. Of course. Um, but still try to protect his dignity. My, my thing is how do I protect people's dignity? How do I protect the leaders that lead us their dignity? Right. I think that's a big part of this is, I love, you know, and I have my own favorite heroes like everybody does, but I love the way N.T. Wright does it because when people critique him or when he doesn't like something, he talks about what he loves about them. Uh-huh. And then he says, and on this thing, I don't think they have it right. Right. And you're like, oh, okay. Like he's he, right. he's a buddy with them and they drink beers and he thinks that this one thing is not. Well, which is which is a an increasingly lost art that if you, if you read back and even how, and now maybe this happens more than I realize. And people used to say that the, the people on different sides of the issues in our own American government used to all, they went to the same church. They, they would go get a beer together and work things out. And then they would vehemently dis- disagree on the Senate floor. Right. And, um, but then they would, they knew that, like, okay, that's what you do, which is what I think can ha- happen in academia. I think two pastors can, or, or let's say, you know, Christian academics can have a very different view. Now, maybe they could even be combative as they worked right. it out publicly and still love each other very much. Or they could be really gracious toward each other, which feels better. Um, but that seems to be what, what, when I'm talking about this embarrassment and this struggle is... Sure. I think another I, I, I want to learn how to do that better. Um, another thing that um, I was th- I think we're very American. I also think we're very 
as a church, like we put America first. I also think that we're very, I would maybe call it Arminian. It's not, that's not the best term, but we want everybody to be as perfect as possible. Mm -hmm. And we tend to see ourselves in the closest to perfect light. And so I really struggle with acknowledging that the church is a very broken entity, which if all I have to do is read the Bible to see that the Bible never presents the people of God as having it together ever. Yet this God of these broken people has never gone away and has only, you know, changed the hearts of more and more people. And it's because of God's goodness, not the people's. So I think if I got over my felt need to present the church to the world as as good as it can be. Right. And owned kind of what the Bible already says that we're kind of a big mess. Right. I would be more, I'd be less embarrassed of right. those who disagree. And then that comes in with trusting the spirit's power, which you asked me if I trusted earlier. I said, no, intellectually I do. Right. I want to. Right. But do I really? Right. right. Do when it comes down to it, do I, do I think in the lives of, of people that I love, God's spirit can move in their lives, even though, you know, they watch Kenneth Copeland videos and laugh. Um, right. I struggle to believe that that's how it works. Right. And but I know it should be. And no, nobody who was converted in Scripture was converted because of the goodness of the people. Right. Or very few. Well, I mean, in in modern times, Paul would be discredited as abusive and a murderer. Yeah, his checkered past, right? David, as a leader, would have been yeah just all over Twitter sphere and everywhere else with his. He was super Bill Clinton, wasn't he? Yes, but but that's the beauty of of God is it's not there's an acknowledgement that we're we're not perfect and this is not or we're not even close and without Jesus there's nothing. Right. Um, I do think one of the embarrassing I don't know the political things you, while you were talking it just made me think like. There are two movements, and they've been—they're pretty ancient. Like, in the, there's the Augustinian movement where yeah. it's like, I, I had my hope in Rome, and now Rome is falling, and so I look to heaven. I'm an escape. So there's this sort of like an escapism built into Christianity. Yeah, and and, and Augustine, from what I understand from reading James K. Smith's right. interpretation of him, sure. he very much thought about the city within the city and and so he was like how it almost seems like probably our term secularism probably is leaning on his theology and what he meant by that is how do we live in the same spheres though we belong to different kingdoms right and that's secularism yeah yeah but it was also an escapism because he had his hope in rome and as rome was falling Uh he wrote was yeah. it City on a Hill or whatever? Or uh, uh, the or City of God. City of God. Thank you. I always want to call it City on a Hill, but City on City on a Hill would be better. So, yeah. anyway, <laughs> City of God. So, but there's so there's that kind of thing, and then on the other hand, there's this Puritan kind of 18th century Puritan of let's bring heaven to earth, mm-hmm. like let's ref, like reform everything. And bring it to its full right. yeah. overblown post millennialism, if you were to use yeah, the theology. but the it would outdoors. be that that you know we actually Christ's victory is is taking complete hold, and it's just a matter of time before the whole world is right. filled. Right. Yeah, and so 
those two things I think are at play underneath all of those that sometimes make for a awkward and embarrassing relationship. Yeah. Well, I, we're going to do some, um, some YouTube political conversations for our, our folks at mission to just work out why do Christians, cause I think a lot of our folks don't know why different Christians have very different angles on these things and the movements that have shaped. Cause if you grew up in one type of church, you were, if you grew up in a dispensational church, for example, you're thinking about what politics, how politics plays into your faith is extremely different than if you grew up in an amillennial church. Very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, yeah, if you grew up with Kyperian theology, like in the Christian Reformed Church uh, versus, you know, Wesleyan theology, mm-hmm. very, mm-hmm. very different. Um, and so I think that we don't, get why we are speaking differently and so it's just frustrating whereas if we went oh well i see how this fits in your framework it'd be easier to go well okay i see i see why you think that way mm-hmm. um, and then to be able to even get be un, way underneath and go that's because you're assuming you know that if because if if for jesus to return the nation of israel has to be reestablished in all its glory then putting the embassy in jerusalem is really a pretty important thing and you know maybe that is is so so why is somebody so dedicated to donald trump well that this is key to their eschatology yes this is the first president they've seen do this in some time it's it it ties in with the theology that they hold while another christian doesn't they don't have that goal that eschatology isn't the uh, you know by eschatology where where things are going how it's all going to end um is very very different and so this you know the moving of the embassy to jerusalem has absolutely no bearing on it it doesn't matter um it's just a just a maybe a irritating thing that someone did that's just going to agitate the middle east which you know could lead to another 9-11 right that's not helpful so that so two groups of christians can have very different views the watching world doesn't get the difference the theological underpinnings and most of us in the church don't get the difference so we just don't know why why does one why does this group think so differently about x y and z and so and the same is true of um the social issues that we you know, people don't know about liberation th- theology. They don't know how, you know, post-Reformation uh, pilgrims put themselves at the center of the biblical narrative as well. Right. They don't know it. So they just don't understand. They don't understand why liberation theology is like jumping on the other side of this issue and, and you know, trying to balance the scales. Mm-hmm. So you just think it's weird. It's not weird. You don't have to agree with it, but you right. have to understand it. Right. So, so I think another part of that embarrassment factor is to actually try to understand, right? Right. I think yeah. so. And maybe at some point we'll all can land on some working de- definition of what kingdom justice looks like as it's played out together, you know, in, in a fallen world. And that's not going to happen. No, no. <laughs> but it's hopeful. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? Yeah. It's a longing. It's a longing. It's, yeah. 
I don't know. So embarrassment, yeah. Yeah. I think it's become more burden or not burdensome, painful for me than embarrassing anymore. It's just mm. it's agonizing. Mm. It you know, the Copeland thing is agonizing. Right. Yeah, you're embarrassed, but on the other hand you're just like, Man, this is just why are we going this direction as a people? Why is this where we're at? You yeah. Know? Or when you think of, you know, what's his name? The the big guy in Texas. The big guy in Texas. I don't know. There's probably lots of well, big, the, big guys know, in Texas. The biggest guy in Texas. Whatever his name is. Anyway. Also sounds like a country song. The biggest guy in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Sure. It's embarrassing. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, now that we figured it out, I guess it's time to That was a good up. conversation. Yeah. I, I do have to say as we close, these conversations have gotten to be different. Now and in COVID, yeah. they feel like you and I are grasping at times to wrestle through stuff in mm-hmm. in ways that we haven't before. And I also think it, it feels really evident to me that we both don't are really busy in a sense, don't sure. have the time that we might <laughs> like to to even work it out in a way that would satisfy us. The pre-preparedness thing isn't happening. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. And, and just in the sense of, you know, even if we, uh, we never prepared for this, but there was always a free, there was free space in my brain yeah. that I could work through some of this. And I, I don't think, you know, we just go from COVID to race to political and political it's craziness a, because the election year coming up or the election coming it's up. It's been a mentally exhausting time. Yeah, it has been mentally exhausting. Cause all the other, you know, stuff going on in people's lives is still there. Yep. Nothing, nothing went away. Yeah. Yeah. I was, before you had said this, I was, uh, wanted us to talk about this. I was going to suggest we, let's pick a subject that has nothing to do with what's going on in the world and chat about it. Which sounds great. Let's talk about a movie. I actually didn't think that's necessarily what this topic was going to be, but it sort of was still. Yeah. Um, but Hey, well, you know, that was good. It was a good conversation. Thanks. We introduced, uh, her daughter to the Batman trilogy, so maybe we could work out the spiritual implications of Batman. Oh gosh, that is that has a lot going on in it. It does. Yeah, it's interesting. I have to rewatch that to really think that through. But do it. The first one was very powerful for me in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then the second one is so dark. I don't know if I can watch the second one again. One time you was can. really hard you for can. me. And then the third one is. Yeah, you know, it's it's an in, it's good, it's good. But there's just something about it following the Dark Knight. It's just tough to follow that movie. Yeah. Anyway, maybe maybe we could go there. Yeah, so I'd go there. That'd do be a, do a marathon, do a Batman marathon. Yeah, there you go. You've been listening to the Faith Over Breakfast podcast with Eric and Andy. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Music and iTunes. Heck, you can find us a lot of places. Friends of websites. Uh, randomly at church. Yeah, but if you like us, subscribe to any of the many places to subscribe. And like us on Facebook and on Instagram.